Hello there, faithful listener. You've tuned in to season seven of the Bible Explained podcast. So make sure to grab your cup of coffee because today we are going to be discussing the book of First Samuel. Hello and good morning, faithful listeners, and welcome to the Bible Explained podcast. I hope that you all are having a fantastic week. We've been having really nice weather, actually, for the past few days. And it turns out that I forgot to celebrate Groundhog Day with you guys because Groundhog Day was on Friday. And actually, the groundhog did not see his shadow. (laughs) And that's only happened a handful of times in my lifetime. And for those of you who don't live in America and have no clue what Groundhog Day is, (laughs) it's basically a really silly tradition where a groundhog named Punxsutawney Phil, who is like 200 years old, apparently, he comes out and he predicts the weather for the next six weeks, whether or not he can see his shadow. So if he sees his shadow, which is almost every time, then we're going to have six more weeks of winter. But if he doesn't see his shadow, then spring is going to come early. And maybe, just maybe, Punxsutawney Phil, the groundhog, was right this year because the weather has been quite nice the past couple days. It's been sunny and relatively warm for this time of the year. And uh, even now I'm looking outside and I'm seeing the sun hitting the tops of the trees and it just looks so pretty. So I'm looking forward to maybe having an early spring this year. That would be fantastic. I'm really looking forward to that. But uh, chances are it won't happen because Punxsutawney Phil, by the way, is almost never right. <laughs> he's right like 40% of the time or something like that. He's, he's very inaccurate at telling the weather. And that's what I would expect from a groundhog anyway. But OK, let's read First Samuel 14 verses 1 through 14 today. And this is going to be talking about Jonathan taking the garrison of the Philistines. While Saul, the king, is kind of like MIA. So let's talk about this today. I'll be reading out the W.E.B. version as usual, but please feel free to grab the version of the Bible that you prefer and also grab your cup of coffee or your cup of tea this morning. And let's go ahead and read once again, 1 Samuel 14, 1 through 14. Now it happened on a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, come, let's go over to the Philistines garrison that is on the other side. But he didn't tell his father. Saul stayed in the uttermost part of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the priest of Yahweh in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. The people didn't know that Jonathan was gone. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes and the name of the other, Sina. The one crag rose up on the north in front of Michmash, and the other on the south in front of Geba. Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let's go over to the garrison of the uncircumcised. It may be that Yahweh will work for us, for there is no restraint on Yahweh to save by many or by few. His armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go and behold, I am with you according to your heart. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will pass over to the men, and we will reveal ourselves to them. If they say this to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they say this, come up to us, then we will go up, for Yahweh has delivered them into our hand. This shall be the sign to us. 
Both of them revealed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. The men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you something. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for Yahweh has delivered them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up on his hands and on his feet and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after him. That first slaughter, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, was about 20 men within, as it were, half a furrow's length in an acre of land. Whoever wrote this portion of 1 Samuel, (laughs) it makes me laugh so hard because in verse two, it talks about Saul. But in verse one, it talks about Saul's son. And there's like this huge difference between the two. Okay. So Jonathan in verse one is deciding to go out and literally wage a one man war or two man war, rather him and his armor bearer against the Philistines. And meanwhile, his dad with like 600 men is chilling under a pomegranate tree. (laughs) It's just, it's so snarky the way it's written. So here's what it says. Saul stayed in the uttermost part of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree, which is in Migron, (laughs) the uttermost part of Gibeah, meaning that Saul was like as far away from the Philistines as he could get in Gibeah. And the idea of him, you know, hanging out under a pomegranate tree is kind of showing this kingly comfort that Saul is experiencing. Not only that, he's with 600 soldiers. They're all hanging out. There's even a priest there wearing an ephod. You know, that was like the priestly robes. And this priest was just chilling with Saul. Meanwhile, Jonathan, all by himself, along with his armor bearer, decides to go out and see if he can strike down the Philistines that are causing so much trouble for Israel. In fact, we know how much trouble the Philistines are causing because the Philistines came in. They were attacking the Israelites left and right with all these raiders that would go in and they were taking weapons away from the Israelites, killing them, mistreating them, forcing the Israelites not to have any blacksmiths so that all the Israelites, even for their farm equipment like axes, had to go and pay the Philistines to sharpen those axes. So they were, you know, robbing the Israelites blind, mistreating them, killing them. And so the Israelites, all these men actually fled and they were hiding in mountains, in caves, in thickets, everywhere they could hide to get away from the Philistines. That's what they were doing. They were even crossing the Jordan River to migrate elsewhere. Like they were doing everything they could to get away from the Philistines. And it seems like the only brave man that's left is Jonathan, Saul's son. And maybe, just maybe, the reason Jonathan was so brave was because he had actually attacked a garrison of Philistines before this. And that particular battle was extremely successful for Jonathan. And Saul actually took all the credit for that. (laughs) But, um, and that was in the last chapter. We talked about that last week. But Jonathan had already seen God's power working through him to defeat the Philistines beforehand. So maybe Jonathan, you know, was sick of hiding, sick of waiting for Saul to do something. And maybe Jonathan just had enough faith in his heart, knowing that God would be with him, even in the middle of a battle. So Jonathan has a lot more faith 
then pretty much any man, it seems like, in Saul's army up until this point. So Saul, while he's hanging out under a pomegranate tree with all of his friends, it says that Jonathan left and he didn't tell his father where he was going. So nobody knew that Jonathan was gone. Jonathan and his armor bearer just leave. And they probably didn't tell Saul where they were going because Saul wouldn't have let them go. So it says that the people didn't know that Jonathan was gone. So it says that Jonathan desired to go over to the Philistines garrison, but there were these rocky crags, okay, that were on either side of the Philistines garrison. And we don't know how tall these crags were. And if I'm being honest, I had to look up what a difference was between a crag and a cliff. (laughs) And I did not know until I looked at pictures. And from my research here, very quick Google search, a crag is more like rough sections of rocks that can, you know, go up pretty high. But a cliff is more smooth and harder to climb up. So Jonathan gets to these crags and they were big enough that they were actually named is what it says. One was named Boses and the other Sina. So it says that one of them rose up in front of Michmash, which was where the Philistines were. And then the other one was south in front of Geba. So Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor in verse six, come and let's go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that Yahweh will work for us, for there is no restraint on Yahweh to save by many or by few. And that is so powerful what Jonathan says here. First, he insults the Philistines, though. He says, these uncircumcised, let's go over there. And, you know, uncircumcised to the Israelites just meant very unclean and not only unclean, but not chosen by God because the circumcised Israelites were chosen by God to be his people. Whereas the Philistines, they were uncircumcised and they were not considered to be God's chosen people. So this was a huge insult for Jonathan to say about the Philistines. But then he says something so beautiful. He says, it may be that Yahweh will work for us for there is no restraint on Yahweh to save by many or by few. And notice that Jonathan here is not expecting God to work for him, but saying, perhaps God will work for me. I think that that is true faith because Jonathan is still saying that everything is within God's will. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of manifesting or the Christian version of it, which is basically to tell God what you're going to get in a year from now or something along those lines. But for those of you who don't know what manifesting is, it's basically the belief that if you state something enough times that God or the universe will listen to you and grant you the thing that you kept stating. For example, I'm going to be a millionaire this year. If you state this enough times, then at the end of the year, you'll become a millionaire. You know, manifesting or telling God what you're going to get or telling the universe what you're going to get or something along those lines is not faith. That is you demanding something from God and totally ignoring what his will might be. And Jonathan here, he is not manifesting or telling God what God is going to do for him. Instead, he's saying, perhaps God will help me. And that is because Jonathan knows that God is all powerful. He is not just a genie up in the sky 
who is going to grant you things just because you thought about them hard enough. He is God and he has a will that is so much bigger and so much better than any will we could ever have for ourselves. And that's why I think that this is true faith that Jonathan is expressing here, because even though he is believing that God is all powerful and God can help him through anything, even to defeat an entire army of Philistines all by himself, that doesn't necessarily mean that God is going to do that, though. And Jonathan says, perhaps God will do this for me because there is no restraint on Yahweh to save by many or by few. But I don't want to move away from the topic of manifesting just yet, because I do think that it is something that has gained a lot of traction, even in Christian circles recently. And I think that it needs to be addressed. So James chapter four, verse three says, you ask and you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. This verse means that when we're asking for something, we often don't receive what we're asking for because it's with wrong motives in our hearts. We just want to, you know, use the thing that we're going to get for our own pleasures. So if you continue on in James chapter four, verses 13 to the end, it says, come now you who say today or tomorrow, let's go into this city and spend a year there, trade and make a profit. Whereas you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow for what is your life. You're like a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away for you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will both live and do this or that. Now, I don't know if manifesting was a thing back in James's day and James, you know, was the earthly brother of Jesus. It kind of sounds like James is talking about manifesting here because he's like, you don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring. So how can you say what a year from now is going to bring? You have no clue. You have no power over your life. Your life is like a vapor. So instead of boasting and manifesting and saying that good things are going to come your way, when you can't even control what's going to happen tomorrow, lean on the one who knows what's going to happen tomorrow, who has your entire life held in his hands, who cares about you and who has control over literally everything. Lean into him because he knows what is going to happen and no amount of manifesting is ever going to get you what you want. No amount of demanding from God or telling God what you're going to get is going to get you what you really want. Instead, scripture tells us, seek God first, and then all these things will be added to you. And also that he knows the desires of your heart. And sometimes you might not even know the desires of your heart. You might think the desires of your heart is this one thing, but in actuality, God knows that if you got that one thing that you think is your desire, it's going to make you absolutely miserable. So when God takes that one thing from you and pushes you in a direction that you don't even want to go in, a lot of times he's actually doing that for your good in the end. But going back to Jonathan, 1 Samuel 14, Jonathan expresses faith in God and not in the way of demanding from God but knowing that God has power and also knowing that God will always do his will. 
So he says, behold, we will pass over to these Philistines and we will reveal ourselves to them. And if they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and we will not go to them. But if they say this, come up to us, then we will go up for Yahweh has delivered them into our hand. This shall be the sign to us. So even Jonathan is making allowance for God's will here. When he says this, he says, if the Philistines see us and they tell us to wait there because they're going to come to us, we will know that we are not going to win this battle and we will retreat. But if the Philistines say to us, yeah, come on over here, we'll teach you a lesson, then that will be the sign to us that God has delivered these people into our hands is what Jonathan says to his armor bearer. And so the armor bearer agrees. And so Jonathan and the armor bearer go to the Philistines and immediately the Philistines taunt them. And they're like, oh, look at these two little Hebrews coming up out of the hole that they were hiding in. And then they say, come up to us and we will show you something. So they're like, come over here. We're going to teach you guys a lesson is what the Philistines say. And then Jonathan knows at that point in time that that is the sign that Jonathan is going to be able to win this battle basically all by himself and with his armor bearer. And that's exactly what happens. Jonathan says, without a doubt in his heart, he says, God has indeed delivered these men into our hands. Let's go. And so they go. And together, Jonathan and the armor bearer slaughter 20 men in verse 14. So Jonathan had this faith. He had faith that God could, in fact, protect him and even help Jonathan defeat 20 people, basically all by himself. Jonathan had that kind of faith. And that's the kind of faith that you and I should have. Not a faith of demanding from God or not asking for God's will, but knowing that God's will is supreme and praying to God that he does his will and reveals to us his will the way Jonathan asked in this chapter. Praying those kind of prayers. God, change my heart for your will. God, I know that you can do this thing for me. I know that I really want this thing. But if that thing is not good for me or good for my family, then I ask that you do your will and you help me be okay with that will from you. And that's the kind of faith that God is going to bless. And that's the kind of faith that's going to change your life. Alrighty, faithful listeners. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I hope that it made you think about faith and about the prayers that you might pray to God. But if you have a prayer request, I encourage you to contact me and tell me what that prayer request is and I will write you down in my little prayer journal. Faithful listeners, I will see you all on the next episode, which is tomorrow. We'll be in the book of Acts. Hope to see you there, but I hope you have a fantastic rest of your Wednesday. Happy listening and God bless.